Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you had to make a choice to stand up for a friend, knowing full well that if you stand up for that friend, there will be some cost associated with it, that it will be difficult to take that stand. In just a moment, I'm going to show you a movie clip which illustrates one such choice. I don't want to spend a lot of time introducing the clip. If you haven't seen the movie, I think you'll be able to kind of pick up what's going on, but look for that idea of having to make a difficult choice. The clip is the final scene from a movie called Dead Poet Society. In the movie, the students in that class were faced with a choice. <clears throat> As you may have been able to tell from the clip, Mr. Keating, played by Robin Williams, was a teacher who had been very popular but had been fired from that school. As he was leaving, those boys were faced with a choice. Would they express friendship to this teacher who had meant so much to them, knowing full well that the choice to do so would result in opposition. It was clear the administrator in the film, the white-haired gentleman who was very angry all of the time, was not very pleased by their expression of friendship for Mr. Keating. Now, of course, this is Hollywood, so you've got triumphant music, and it ends right there. <clears throat> but if this wasn't Hollywood, and you'd watch the rest of the movie, there should be no illusions that, that those boys would somehow have gotten off. It was very clear that they were going to be disciplined, they were going to be punished, because they had chosen to side with Mr. Keating, and Mr. Keating had made himself an enemy of the administration. They were going to be expelled from that school. Their choice to be friends and express their friendship was going to take its toll. There was no way the school was simply going to abandon its very legalistic and strict policies simply because a bunch of schoolboys stood on their desks. They had too much invested in that way of life. And those boys, you could see it on their faces, they, were, they had a choice. Expressing friendship for Mr. Keating meant opposition from the school. Well, so it is with Jesus. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus has chosen us to be his friends. How great is that? That we get to be called friends of Jesus. But there's a downside to being a friend of Jesus. And the downside is this, that when we become friends of Jesus, his enemies become our enemies that when we choose to take a stand for him, it will mean opposition in this life. And Jesus wants us to understand that full well. The blessings of God are evident as we've talked about today. God is generous and kind. But when we choose to accept his generosity and his friendship, his enemies become our enemies. And Jesus wants us to understand that full well up front so that when that opposition and persecution comes, we will not be dissuaded from following him. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of John chapter 15? 
The book of John, chapter 15, it's page 764 in the Bibles that the church provides. They're in the rack in front of you or underneath your seat. John chapter 15, we are looking at Jesus' final teaching time with his disciples before he will leave to go to the cross and then ascend to heaven. And Jesus is giving a series of instructions to his disciples, which are especially applicable not just to them, but to us. So would you listen as I read aloud verses 18 down through chapter 16, verse 4. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. Jesus is speaking. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Jesus says very plainly and very clearly that if we accept his offer of friendship, that we will be persecuted just as he was persecuted. That the world hated him, and anybody who sides with him will be hated by the world. Just like the boys in the movie. The moment they took their stand with Mr. Keating, they became the enemies of the administration. And the administration was turning their anger on them. Jesus says, I want to warn you ahead of time. That's what will happen to anyone who chooses to follow me. Now, let's begin by acknowledging that in this world today, not so much in America, but in the broader world, there is real persecution. That people today, 
at gunpoint are being asked to renounce their faith, faith. That people today are being imprisoned around the world simply because they acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Just two weeks ago, I saw a, a blurb come across that said a man named Pastor Xi in China was arrested for simply being a pastor, which is against the law, their Secret Meetings Act. And he's been given two years hard labor in a Chinese labor camp for no other reason except for the fact that when the government said you can't meet as a church, that they chose to continue to meet. That's real persecution. What we go through here in America today, we don't experience that kind of stuff. But having said that, we need to understand that Jesus is not just talking to Pastor Xi this morning. That these words were not simply written for our brothers and sisters in Indonesia or China or Nigeria or other places in the world. That these are the words of God to us today here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, here in America. And we need to understand that Jesus has something to say to us as well as something to say to our brothers and sisters around the world. You see, the idea of persecution is really a continuum. That at one end of the continuum are these martyrdoms, these imprisonments, the physical beatings, that kind of persecution and suffering like Pastor Xi is experiencing. That's one end of the continuum. But at the other end of the continuum, there is opposition, opposition that you and I can face today. Verbal abuse, being ostracized, being rejected, being betrayed, being made fun of. It's on the same continuum. Now we don't want to pretend that the things we go through are somehow equated with the kinds of serious persecution. They're not. But we also don't want to be foolish enough to think that we're not someplace on this continuum, that these words don't apply to us. They do. That if you and I accept friendship with Jesus, we will experience opposition as we obey him. You see, some of us think we can navigate through life without any opposition as Christians. When we say to ourselves, thank you, Lord, that we can worship in freedom, in the back of our minds, we're thinking, I think we're going to make it. I think I'm going to get to the end of my life as a Christian and not suffer any real persecution or opposition. We think that we watch a movie like this and we see these boys stand up on their desks and we think, well, they're going to get expelled from school. Why not just stay in your seat? Don't say anything. And when Mr. Keating leaves, find his address and write him a thank you note. That would be a way to express friendship. That would be a way to encourage him. Why not do that? And we think those boys are going to experience opposition because they're foolish. We see someone preaching on the street corner here in Grand Rapids and they're being mocked and we think silently, well, that's because they're preaching on a street corner. If they just went home and waited for someone to come ask them about Jesus, well, nobody would make fun of them. And although we don't want to admit it, 
Many of us think we can somehow skate through our Christian lives without any real opposition. Jesus says here in no uncertain terms, it's not going to happen. If they hated me, and they did, they will hate you. And if they persecuted me, and they did, they will persecute you. We may not face this end of the continuum, but we will find ourselves, if we are truly following Christ, somewhere between opposition and persecution. That if Jesus didn't make it through without being opposed, neither will we. Now where does this opposition or persecution come from? Jesus identifies it in verse 18 as being from the world. Now when he uses the word world, he doesn't really have in mind the created order like the trees and the water and dogs and things like that. That's not where the persecution's coming from. When he uses the word world, Jesus has in mind the world that is separated from God, the world that is at enmity with God, sinful humanity, the attitudes and mindsets of this world that are contra what God wants for us. This is why John, in 1 John chapter 2, speaking of the world, can say this, do not love the world or anything in the world. He doesn't mean don't love your spouse or don't love your kids. That's not what he's saying. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the craving of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. What Jesus is talking about, same thing John is talking about, is worldliness that sort of system that is antithetical to God, the cravings, the lusting, the boasting, the pride, these kinds of things, that's what Jesus means by the world. Those who embrace those kinds of attitudes and mindsets. He says that's who you're going to experience persecution from. That's who's going to oppose you, the world. Worldliness, and those who embrace worldliness. Now the problem with using the term world is that when we hear the term world, we can think that it's coming from out there, that it's not here, it's there, it's overseas, it's somewhere else, that the world is distant from us. But I wanna show you something remarkable Jesus does Follow the pronouns that he uses. Look very carefully. Verse 18, the subject of this whole conversation, he says, if the world hates you, that's the dominant noun. Now, look, verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Verse 20, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, what's the antecedent for the word they? The world. He's still talking about the world. That is the main noun that he's using. If the world persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Verse number 24. 
if I had not done among them, who's the they or the them? Still the world, we've not changed pronouns. We've not changed antecedents. Still the world, verse 24. But look now at verse 25. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. Who's the antecedent to the pronoun there? The world, still the world. We've not changed. He says it's written this way in their, the world's law. Now, what worldly book is Jesus quoting from when he says they hated me without reason? If you have an NIV, there's a little B superscript right at the end of that quote. And if you look down at the bottom, the editors are kind enough to tell you where that quote comes from. So take a look. What worldly book is Jesus quoting from? The Psalms, the Old Testament. But does he call it God's holy scripture? He doesn't, what does he say? He says it's their law, the world's law. This gives you the idea that when Jesus talks about the world, he's not just talking about those sort of antagonistic atheists or those people who are so mired in sinful debauchery that they want nothing to do with God. He's talking about people who are reading their Bibles. And he says you can find the world among them. Look at chapter 16, verse 2. They, who's the they? Still the world. will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to whom? To God. These are religious people. These are not simply atheists. These are people who think they're religious. They're reading their Bible. They're interested in seemingly pleasing God. And they would identify themselves as being part of the people of God. They're not, but they think they are. Jesus says, you can find worldliness anywhere. Not just out there. You can find worldliness in here, in the church. Jesus says in every church, Calvary included, there are wheats and tares. There are people who are Christians and there are those who are not Christians, even though they identify themselves as being so. And among all of us who are Christians, there can be worldly attitudes animating our actions and behaviors. You can find the world not just out there, but in your own extended family. Even if they have grown up in the church and claim to be Christians and have had profession of faith or prayed a prayer, even in your extended family, you can find the world. Even in your Christian schools, there is the world. In our Christian businesses, the world is not just Washington DC or Hollywood or Beijing or Tehran. The world is right here in Grand Rapids. And Jesus says, you can find the world anywhere. And because we can find the world anywhere, we will experience opposition anywhere. In our church, in our families, in our schools,
in our businesses right here in this wonderful town of Grand Rapids. That's why Jesus is speaking these words to us today. Yes, we may not experience martyrdom, and we may not experience beatings or imprisonment, but we will experience some level of opposition right here where we are. If you remember from the movie, Mr. Keating, the English teacher, the opposition that was coming was not from out there, it was from the, his own administration. That was the school he had attended where he was teaching on faculty. Those boys who were going to be expelled were going to experience opposition from their own school administration. Jesus says it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 52. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, not peace, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And all the mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law said amen. That's Jesus' point. The enemies are from one's own family. That when you and I claim friendship with Christ, when we want to follow Christ and obey Christ, we will experience opposition from people in our church, in our family, in our city, in our school, in our businesses. It's not just out there. It's not just overseas. It's anywhere that worldliness predominates. Either there will be people who claim to be Christians who are not, or those who are Christians but living with a worldly mentality. And when we stand up and testify for Jesus, we will become their enemy, and we will experience opposition. So what kind of opposition? As I said at the beginning, there's a continuum. One end is the very physical, the death, the martyrdom. At the other end seems to be the verbal opposition. What does that look like? Well, Jesus in John 15 is quoting from Psalm 35. If we look at Psalm 35, you can see what that kind of verbal opposition is like. Listen to what the psalmist says. Ruthless witnesses have come forward. They question me on things I don't know anything about. They repay me evil for good and leave my soul forlorn. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. David says, I'm praying for them. I'm trying to be kind to them. When things don't go well in their life, I'm saddened by it. He says, but when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Attackers gathered against me when I was unaware. They were plotting against him. He knew nothing about it. They slandered me without ceasing. <clears throat> like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked. 
Notice it doesn't say they were ungodly. It says, just like a non-Christian would do, they maliciously mocked me. They gnashed their teeth at me. Oh Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my life from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among throngs of people, I will praise you. Let not those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. David said, I didn't do anything to provoke this. This is what Jesus is quoting. Let not those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peaceably, but devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. That's this end of the spectrum of persecution and opposition. It's not just the physical beatings that Jesus is referring to. It's that what's happening in Psalm 35. And if you've experienced that kind of persecution, if you've experienced someone slandering you falsely, if you've experienced those that you have been praying for and you've been loving and you've been trying to help turn on you, yes, it's not the same as giving up your life physically for Christ, but it's painful and it's hard. It's hard to hear people talking behind your back saying things that you know aren't true. It's hard to experience hatred from those that you have tried to love. It's hard to go through that. So what should our response to all of this be? In verse 26, Jesus says, when the counselor comes, whom I, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. Jesus says, if you are wanting to obey me, you will experience opposition. Opposition even in your own church, in your own family, in your school, in your business, in the city. But when that opposition comes, Jesus says, my spirit will be with you. He will tell you what to say. He will show you how to respond. He will show you how not to respond in the face of such opposition. And Jesus says, I tell you this so that you will not go astray. What he means is, is so that you won't stumble. In other words, so you'll keep going. If you're on a path to follow Jesus and to obey Jesus, somebody's going to try to oppose you. Jesus says, I'm telling you that now so that when it happens, you don't give in. You keep going forward. You don't let the opposition stop you. You don't let it quiet your voice. Jesus says, you must testify about me. Those boys in that movie, did you see it in their face? They had a choice. They could have stayed in their seats or they could have gotten up and expressed their love for their teacher. Jesus says, you must testify too. You must stand on your desk. And when the opposition comes, know full well that it's going to be there. The Spirit will guide you through it, but keep going. Perhaps you're here this morning and your spouse and you have been thinking about what to do with your vacation this year. And you've decided together, instead of going to that family reunion that you go to every year, you're going to take that same time and the same resources, plus some more, and use it to go on a family missions trip. To go overseas because you want to care for the poor, you want to share the gospel with the lost, you want your children to have that kind of experience. If that's what God's leading to you, that's fantastic. 
But I need to warn you, you will experience opposition. Perhaps some members of your extended family will begin to talk behind your back and say, why does he think he's so great? Why does he think he's better than we are? They begin to say, what a waste of money. It costs so much to go overseas. Don't they know that there are people here who need Jesus? Why don't they stay here and share the gospel? Jesus says when that opposition comes, the Spirit will guide you through it. He will give you the words to respond to your family in love. But keep going. If God has led you to do that, do not let the opposition dissuade you. Expect it. If you're following Jesus in that, there will be opposition. Perhaps you're a student here, and now that it's become August, you're beginning to think about returning to school. And you're going back to your Christian school, and you think to yourself, you know what, I need to do something about what's going on in my school. That although it's a Christian school, there's a lot of worldliness there. That there are friends who are trying to encourage you to participate in the lifestyle you know you're not supposed to be participating in. That they want you to join with them in their partying and in their rebellion and the sexual immorality and the other things that they're doing. And for the most part, you've just put your head down and kept silent about it. Jesus is saying, look, if you're my friend, you've got to stand up on that desk. You've got to tell them that that's not what I want them to be doing. But you and I both know the moment you do that, the moment you stand up and say this isn't right, you're going to face opposition. Some people might listen to you. Jesus says there will be some who will obey. But I promise you there are going to be others who will turn on you. They will begin to slander you. They may make false accusations about you. They may ostracize you. They may try to get you kicked off of the basketball team or the tennis team or the play or whatever you might be doing. You may find that suddenly when you were silent, everybody left you alone, and now that you've stood up, you've become their enemy. Jesus says, I'm warning you about this up front so that when you take that stand in September, when you go back to school and say, look, Jesus doesn't like this stuff, that when the opposition comes, you will not be discouraged, that you will keep going, that God's Holy Spirit will be with you to guide you through that. And to know that if your classmates hate you, it's because it's the world in them hating Christ first. Perhaps you're here and you're new to the faith. And you can't believe that nobody else has seen this before in your family, that Jesus is alive, that he's resurrected from the dead. And you're telling your friends and your neighbors and everybody you come in contact with. Jesus is proud of you for doing that. You're taking a stand for him, but he wants you to know that some of those people that you're telling are going to oppose you. They're going to think that somehow you're holier than thou, that somehow you have lost your mind, that you're just on some other big kick. They may begin to slander you. They may begin to betray you. Your friends may abandon you. Jesus says, I want you to know that's coming. I'll be with you as you go through it, but know full well that opposition is real. That if you are following Jesus, you will experience opposition. And let's be honest about it. There's opposition here in the church. The world is present not just out there, but also in here. 
Last week, John Stott passed away. He's one of the great Christian leaders of this past century. 90 years old, probably along with Billy Graham, the two most influential Christians in the world. John Stott was beloved. The New York Times, of all places, <laughs> wrote a glowing obituary about him because he was genuine in his faith. He was loving towards people. But you know what? John Stott faced a lot of blistering criticism in his life. It's easy after he's dead. Everybody wants to praise. But during his life, from his own father, that was an incredible wound that continued to be in his life. From his own local church, somebody that we stand up here and say was one of the great Christian leaders of the century in his own local church, experienced incredible opposition. From other Christian leaders around the world who didn't like a stand that he took or something else that he said. And it was the world in them animating them to persecute him and to oppose him. If John Stott didn't make it through life without opposition, we won't either. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, if Jesus didn't make it, if he knows, if he, the person without any sin, the person who knows the best action in every situation, if he didn't make it through this life without all forms of persecution, from martyrdom down to slandering, if he didn't make it, we won't either. He says, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. It's okay, because I've given you my spirit, Jesus says, so that when those times come, he will tell you what to say, what not to say, and how to walk through it. He says, I want you to know this ahead of time, so that when it happens, you won't lose heart. If you're here this morning and you're facing opposition, Jesus wants you to not lose heart. It's what's to be expected. Keep going. Keep following him. Keep on what he's given you to do. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for these words of encouragement. Thank you that they are not words that come from an unsympathetic mouth, but you have experienced every different kind of slander and abuse and rejection and betrayal and physical beatings and death that anybody has ever experienced. Ours may take different forms and shapes, but you know exactly what we're going through. Lord, I pray for those who are here right now who are facing opposition. Perhaps it's from a family member, perhaps it's from a person in church or in school, a business in the city. Now, would you speak to them, Jesus, this morning and encourage them with these words that you spoke 2,000 years ago and today. Lord, we also think not only of ourselves, but also for our brothers and sisters around the world. We think of Pastor Xi. Lord, we pray for him. I don't know him, but I can only imagine that two years hard labor in a Chinese labor camp cannot be fun. I pray that you would be with his wife and his child as they attempt to keep his ministry going while he is there. I pray if possible he might be set free and that if he's not, that you would be with him in a unique way that you would comfort him and be close to him as you were close to Stephen. Lord, I pray for those 84 Christians in Eritrea who were arrested simply for being Christians who have not been heard from in the past two months. God, if they are still alive, would you be near to them? If they're not, 
Lord, I pray that you would be a comfort to their families. And I pray that their death and martyrdom would be the seed for the church in that country, that they might abandon their opposition to Christianity and they might find the truth of your gospel, Jesus. Lord, for those who are in Indonesia or Nigeria or other places where the persecution is heavy, for those in the Middle East, God, give them strength. Stand with them in a unique way. Help us as we face our own opposition to be more faithful in praying for them. And thank you, Lord, for your spirit. May he guide us and direct us on our paths of life so that as we come through these kinds of oppositions, we will stand firm to the end. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.